You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm your co-host, Chad Dundas, a longtime MMA journalist, novelist, and podcaster. And joining me, as always, from MMA Junkie in USA Today, it's your friend and mine, Mr. Ben Folks. Ben, last week on the show... We called UFC 236, quote, a little top-heavy. And at the time, we didn't necessarily mean it as a compliment. No, not necessarily, but we weren't wrong. No, you fast-forward one week, and suddenly calling UFC 236 a little top-heavy seems like a, a sterling damn compliment, considering how things went. Accurate, and as we saw, that doesn't have to be a bad thing. No, it to doesn't. Top heavy because the four men involved in the the co-main event and main event this past weekend, they give you your damn money's worth here, even if you didn't get a lot of star power from the rest of the card. I just hope that the old man Frank Yeager figured out how to order it in time. You see, he was having some some trouble. Well, that doesn't surprise me at all, considering no. his status as the old man. That's right. It's in fact pretty perfectly on brand. For when they first move over to where you have to order from the streaming service, Frank Yedger is going to peer over his spectacles at one of these apps, one of these newfangled apps he's got to get on his TV, and then just go, oh, what the hell? Mother, come, come and get one of the kids to come in here and fix this damn thing. This, Did he, do you think he got up and he banged on the side of the TV? Yeah, to uh, open, took the, the tape out and blew in it, put it back <laughs> yeah, in? yeah. This is about as positive as you're going to see from a UFC that ends with four straight decisions. As as I can remember, because most of the fights on the main card here went the went the distance, with the exception of Nikki Thrills getting that win over OSP via second round submission. But I'm hard pressed to say that there wasn't like a real bad fight on here, man. Like these were all pretty good, and then of course the last two you get are just uh, goddamn cracker jacks. Yeah, yeah. No, the, it also here was one where you kind of needed especially the top two fights to really deliver in terms of action because you know, you got your interim title stuff going on. Nobody knows exactly what all that means. It really does help to have some guys go out there, just throw the fuck down. Yeah, it does. I'm going to let the people behind the curtain a little bit here, but one of the things that I noticed kind of while putting together today's show is that when you have a UFC that comes off as a damn home run, these podcasts just write themselves. It's so much damn easier to put together a show like this when the UFC is great. You mean when they actually give you something worth talking about? Yes. Yeah. How about that? Isn't that something? We got music again this week from longtime listener and friend of the show, Ras Jarborg. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can check out more over at soundcloud.com slash S-T-H-L-M-R-A-S. That's a Stockholm Ross, Stockholm Rass abbreviation. By now, everybody knows that. If you're scoring at home. Don't forget, if you want to support the show, we got Cowboy Astronaut cigarettes, T-shirts, and Dundazzo T-shirts available right now on demand all the time, whenever you want them, over at CottonBureau.com. Just go over to CottonBureau.com today and pick yourself up some CME merchandise. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, grit, determination, the right amount of crazy, self-belief, 
everything it takes to be a champion. I have that. That's an actual quote from new interim lightweight champion Dustin Poirier. And honestly, I couldn't love it anymore. And in round number two, Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum painted a damn masterpiece in the middleweight co-main event this weekend. What happens next? And in round number three, the most Dana White thing we've seen in some time happened on Saturday night. We'll break it down for you, especially with our own insight for all the goofs and idiots out there. All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff, but first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. First piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Matt Webb, who writes, We've got to talk about Khalil Roundtree. Jesus Christ. Guy went off to Thailand and came back a stone-cold fucking murderer. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, this is an accurate point, and I'm interested to see where and how Khalil Roundtree Jr. goes from here. But he went out there and just wore your boy, Eric Anders, around the cage like a button. And you said you made the point about top four fights all finishing via decision. This is one. It's kind of amazing that it did make it to decision. A lot of a confluence of factors allowing this fight to make it to decision. Not the least of which is your boy, Eric Anders's all around toughness, but then decision by everyone involved not to uh, step in and call this thing off prematurely. Wherein at a couple of points during this fight, you could have done that without any complaints. Yeah. Well, the second round, the latter half of the second round was basically the commentary team just being like, okay, so should his corner stop this now or should they wait till he gets back to the stool at the end of the second? And then, you know, it creates this moment of tension because then when he does go back to the stool after the round, they're just giving him normal corner people advice. Yes. Like everything is going okay. I Also, I saw on Eric Anders' Instagram or somebody that pointed out to me, maybe it was like his Instagram story or something where he basically at some point I think posted a video of what his leg looked like after that fight. And the quote was something along the lines of, you can see his toe prints in my shit, meaning his leg. This was a night full of uh, gracious sportsmanship, I guess you could say, all the way around. And Eric Anders was part of that. Basically, after this fight against Khalil Roundtree gets on social media and posts that he hasn't got his butt whipped like that since since he was born, basically. (laughs) Since April 21st, 1988, or or something like that, was, I believe, the the tweet. But uh, he is obviously taking what must be a very very physically and emotionally painful loss uh, about as well as you could. I'm interested to see what happens to Khalil Roundtree Jr. here. Because this is a guy who's been in the UFC for five years. He is, well, he should be four and four after this win. He is, in all actuality, three, four, and one. Because he had a loss to uh, Michael overturned because... Wow, you didn't even attempt it. How would you say that? Oleksijuzuk. This name, yeah. The last name includes the letters... J, C, and then Z, all right next to each other, which that is the point where my eye hits that point and gives up. That was originally a loss, got overturned because Roundtree's opponent uh, tested positive for, for banned substances. Clomiphene, I believe. Clomiphene, but originally he would, he, he would be, if not for that, he would be 4-4. Four and four. So here he is, 4-3-1 uh, and one in the UFC. Goes over for uh, training slash spiritual awakening over in Thailand. Comes back looking like a completely different guy. Fighting like a, uh, he looks like a Street Fighter character with that uh, very traditional Thai stance. Kind of lightly tapping the front foot and just wears out Eric Anders' leg 
with low kicks in this fight. We knew Khalil Roundtree was a dude uh, who could punch super hard and was always dangerous. Knocked out Gokan Saki, remember that? Yep, and he'll go out there uh, and, and bring it right to you. But this fight against Eric Anders, uh, incorporating the stuff that he was able to pick up over in Thailand, just made him look like a much different guy. And this gives me all the opening I need to relay one of my favorite Wikipedia personal life facts ever that comes from the page, the Wikipedia page for Khalil Roundtree. Roundtree enjoys dancing and listening to music. He is a fan of the village people. Thank you, Wikipedia. Thank you very much. That's what we needed to know. Yeah. So it'll be interesting, like I said, to see where uh, Roundtree goes from here. Because, like, he's looked like a pretty mediocre, middle-of-the-road kind of guy up to this point. And we, we made the comment that when they called him to fight Gokan Saki, we didn't think it was because the UFC was trying to get in the Khalil Roundtree business. Right. Now, he gets this win over Eric Anders. This fight was at light heavyweight. And I think you can make the case Anders is more of, like, a natural middleweight. But it'll... I just want to see Roundtree fight again now. I want to see, like, okay, was this just he went out there and took Anders by surprise because he's fighting in a way that he didn't really show up on film previous to this? Was it just because he's fighting a a smaller guy that couldn't really make an in-fight adjustment? Or is the new Khalil Roundtree kind of for real? So coming out of UFC 236, one of the things I'm excited about is to see Khalil Roundtree go out there and do it again because he's a guy that seemed to have a lot of potential, but a guy that, like I said, was just kind of up and down in his previous UFC career. So, like, new life a little bit at 205 here, a division where if you can put some stuff together, it's not a very high climb. I have a great idea for what could be Khalil Roundtree's thing. What if, before every fight, he does his training camp in a different country? Okay. And then shows up to, like, like kind of like that, uh, what was the thing where, like, they travel around and learn different martial arts and then put them to the test at the end. Was that the Jimmy Smith show? The show where that Jimmy Smith was originally on? Maybe. No, it was something else. It was a different, like it was like human weapon or something like that. I don't know. Point is he, co- he goes to Thailand, does some training, shows up and then just kicking motherfuckers legs off their bodies. Maybe next he goes to Brazil, comes back doing some capoeira. Huh? What do you think about that? I like then, to- you know, goes to China. Spends some time at the Shaolin Temple, Chad. Shows up doing some traditional kung fu in his next fight. I want to see him go to Russia and okay. then come into his next fight wearing like the gi top with shorts like the, uh, yes. the, the Sambo guys, Sambo guys yeah. do. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I'm just saying everybody needs something to help them stand out these days. This would be an awesome gimmick. Plus, you get to see the world, Chad. How about that? It looks like Jimmy Smith was originally on a TV show called Fight Quest. Fight Quest, yeah, that sounds like it, right? Yeah, I think that was it. Like they would go around to like different uh, countries and and they would like train in a in a martial art, and then basically Jimmy Smith would fight the fight the guy and see one of the students. This, I think, the good thing about it is even if you lose doing this, you just blame that country's martial right. art. Like you're just like, well, we we figured out that taekwondo is bullshit because I me, lost this fight. It's the Hawaiian art of bone breaking. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's where the fault like, lies it, here. This isn't, you know, it's every we all get to learn something from every one of his outings. If he wins, all right. If he loses, you know what? Then hey, judo is not a practical art for martial arts in 2019, and we learned that, and that's fine. Next question this week comes to us from Dante S, who writes with cats like Max Holloway. Uh, Dustin Poirier, 
Justin Gaethje and many other fighters who show up and do the work to be one exciting and two the best. Why the fuck do we need the shit talking D bags that are ruining the sport that I've loved for almost 20 years? Now that ESPN is essentially footing the bill for the pay-per-views, do you think the media will spend less time talking about the UFC business, like I give a shit how many people are or are not watching in the event, and focus on these exceptional fights and fighters of high character and work ethic? Yeah, I wrote a column kind of similar to this today, basically about how this event showed us that, you know, when you have four guys who all, like, they have personality and they have individual style. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not like they're just bland, forgettable dudes, but they're also not going out there and just trying to paint by numbers in the manufactured beef kind of sense that we've gotten used to. Like they can be themselves and be interesting and also have an attitude toward their fight where it's like, hey, we're both going to go out there, really try hard, try to hurt each other and put each other away. And then in the end, we will approach each other with mutual appreciation and respect. And it's still awesome. Like, kind of just shows you that you only need that other stuff or you only find yourself leaning on that other stuff when you don't have this. When you don't have guys who are just really good at fighting and have their own genuine personalities. Yeah, I'm hopeful that the pendulum will swing back the other direction a little bit here because we've talked a lot on, on all of our shows recently about the Conor McGregor era and how, you know, he is uh, apparently fathered some promotional children here no pun intended uh but birthing characters like colby covington uh who's out here just trying to talk trash to make himself more marketable i feel like a lot of fighters looked at the example set by conor mcgregor which worked great for mcgregor whether or not you think he went overboard a time or two but then trying to sort of copy that example and become uh you know promotable entities just by basically uh taking on a professional wrestling style persona that that is over the top and i agree that when you have dudes like like poirier and and holloway and kelvin gasolum and israel adesanya out there doing great stuff in the cage and and comporting themselves uh as adults frankly all the way around that it's like a breath of fresh air in the sport at this point and it, it makes you feel not only like the ufc and and uh mma is revitalized a little bit to have a great card like this but it, it it does reinforce the idea that, hey, maybe that some of that other stuff, throwing dollies at buses and whatnot, we don't really need to do that. I mean, that said, promoters are going to do what makes money. Right. And so are fighters, frankly, because they're all out there trying to make, make the money. So I don't think you're ever going to see that stuff totally go away. But at the same time, in this sport, I've said it time and time again, I think ev- everything is sort of cyclical. Everything goes in, in uh, waves and, and you know eras and so it would be awesome frankly to see things come back the other way a little bit toward uh you know the sportsmanship side of things yeah or just like feeling like we're getting a genuine look at who these people are and not them trying to be who they think we want them to be right and again like i've said in mma like you can spend a lot of time trying to build yourself a persona and like do all of the smart promotional stuff suddenly Derek lewis goes out there and just says his balls was hot and like that's the thing, the more genuine off the cuff moment is going to be the thing that the MMA audience seems to gravitate toward. So like I'm all for the realism, I guess you would say, of of Max Holloway and, and Kelvin Gastelum uh, and even Eric Anders like being super gracious in defeat and, and the, the guys who won the, the fights, you know, being very gracious about their own competition, if not necessarily gracious about who they want to fight next. 
Yeah, people think it's tough to explain to others in public why they're wearing a Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirt. Try my balls was hot on your t-shirt. Try that one out at the grocery store. That's why I'm wondering who's wearing those shirts and where are they wearing them? Grocery store, I guess. Church. Next question this week comes to us from Kevin S. who writes, Tried to buy the PPV legally. Wouldn't take my money. Streamed it illegally with ease. Now, this was a problem because we had some mistakes in just in the like uh, nuts and bolts of the ordering process here for UFC 236. Bad enough that Dana White, even after the event, was like, we had some hiccups and we will clean it up and it will be better and easier next time. For the, for the guy who runs the UFC to admit any wrongdoing or any mistake or anything that didn't go off exactly right, you know it was a problem. So I imagine that a lot of people encountered this. You couldn't buy the pay-per-view through the ESPN Plus app, despite the fact that you had to be an ESPN Plus member to even have access to it. You had to go to the desktop, yes. right? You had to go to your, your laptop or your computer or whatever it was uh, and go online, basically, in your browser to a special page where you could then order the podcast or, or I'm sorry, order the pay-per-view. I can't believe that, uh, that you get to fight night without cleaning that up. That to me is just like a glaring thing. I'm sure a lot of people either got just screwed by that or, you know, encountered the app saying a couple of times that like you couldn't order the thing on your device and we're like, well, screw it then. Yeah. And if it was really, so easy to stream it illegally, then I guess, and if you had a familiarity with that process beforehand, then yeah, I'm sure that seemed like an attractive option. And it does seem odd that like one of the first things I would want my app that sells pay-per-views to know how to do is to have a button that says, here's how you give me your money. Yeah. It reminds me of watching one of those Hard Knocks episodes where uh, Jerry Jones from the Cowboys was like, the three most important things I learned about business are, are number one, ask for the money, and I forget the other two. And that was one of those things where I'm like, I'm here, I'm trying to give you my money, and you don't have a button that says, give me your money. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, other than that, once you figured out that part of it, I was very curious to see how it was going to operate, because I was not crazy about the idea of like, so now you're turning every pay-per-view into a streaming event rather than the dependability that you get with like a cable pay-per-view kind of thing. But it worked pretty well, yeah. at least for me. Yeah. Like I did not have, you know, there were a couple of little minor hiccup moments, but fortunately didn't last long, not during anything super important. And the stream quality looked good. The picture looked good the entire time. Other than that little issue when trying to actually order the thing to begin with, I was pleasantly surprised with how it worked. No, yeah, I agree. I agree. I just think that having already erected this sort of like uh, additional barrier to entry that now you have to, be an ESPN plus subscriber to even have the, the, the pleasure of trying to order the pay-per-view. You got to make it as easy as possible for people to order the pay-per-view. Yes. Man, I can't be dinking around inside the, the ESPN app trying to figure it out. It's going to have to be hard for me not to be able to buy it. Like that's how easy it should be. Yes. I should go there and there should be a giant button that is like, all you do is click this and then the fights will start. You can't be sending me around to, activation pages and whatnot. You're trying to take my money, man. And You're it's trying not to take it. A not insignificant amount of money either. I agree. I would be real interested to find out what the order or buy rate was for this particular pay-per-view. Um, and maybe we will, maybe we will. I don't know. You think so? Huh? Well, the ESPN being a, uh, 
publicly traded company and all that. Seems like there might be some added uh, transparency moving forward. Maybe I'm just... We'll see, is what I say to that. Tossing, tossing coins in the wishing well here. Next question this week comes from to us from Oscar, who writes, So Dana White is going to show us the future of fighting in the next two months. Uh, what do you anticipate? Uh, more PIs, performance institutes, or something completely different in the words of Monty Python? Now, I said at the top of the show that some Dana White stuff happened this, this weekend. This is pretty peak Dana White stuff this here. This is classic Dana White stuff. <laughs> Making... Just vague claims about in the next two months, he's going to, quote, show us the future of fighting. He's going to unveil the future of fighting, not the future of the UFC, the future of fighting, Chad. Well, is it Greg Hardy? Is he going to wheel Greg Hardy on stage with a tarp over him and be like, behold, the future of fighting. Whip the tarp off. He starts throwing combos. I say... Uh, is it robots? Is the future of fighting robots? Holograms. Holograms. Yeah. You don't have to pay a hologram. Shit. That's a fact. Yeah. That's a good point. Holograms don't get injured. Holograms don't miss weight. Don't weigh anything, in fact. It's just light. It's a trick of the light. Mouse fights. <laughs> Everybody's going to raise mice. Now, there's no way that it could possibly live up to no. this incredibly ambitious claim the, the future f- of fighting not just the ufc he says the future of fighting which we if there's anything that the fact that dana white's wealth should prove to him it's that the present of fighting which looks very similar to the past of fighting is pretty popular yeah. you don't need to change the entire form of the thing people are we get it and we like it it's in our dna chad some somebody keeps telling me that and so then it leads you to wonder, like, what in Dana White's mind would possibly make sense to back up a statement like that? One of the things I saw thrown out a lot was it's going to be just, like, more stuff that they're doing in China. Like, more performance institutes in China or, like, more just, like, development of that enormous market that yeah. everybody, you know, all the, the Western companies want to get into in one way or another. And I'm telling you right now, if the future, if you're telling me that the future of fighting is just more involvement in the country that has been doing various martial arts for literally thousands of years, I'm going to call bullshit on your claim because that is not really the future of fighting. What could it possibly be, though? What could the future of fighting possibly be aside from, in Dana White's eyes, they're going to open a bunch of new performance institutes in various countries, and maybe they have some new programming coming up on ESPN in a in an ultimate fighter sort of vein that they're going to use to find and, and develop new talent. Aside from that, I have no idea what it could possibly be. And frankly, hybrid MMA boxing events because already been done. Of this, because of the the history that we have in this specific sport, people come out here talking about the future of fighting. I start thinking about the Yama Pit. Yeah, you know, I start thinking about moat fights or something. Like if you fall in, you gotta escape the great white shark, and then you pull yourself back up into the into the uh, the hexagon, the rotating hexagon here, in order to fight your opponent. It's it's one of those things where, like, when we were talking about with uh, DAZN throwing all that money around, it doesn't give you a good feeling because you know how <laughs> things go in this in this sport. People start making promises about the future of fighting. I start to feel real leery. And because it's Dana White, I am preparing myself for disappointment or underwhelmment. Yes, yeah, I, I think maybe the best case scenario is that it's just underwhelmment, that it's like, 
we're putting a, diff- a new space for like a different sponsor logo on the shorts. Fighting has forever changed as a result. And we can all be like, okay, that was some Dana White shit. But even just going on here. And the other thing is he makes this claim in an interview with Brett Okamoto, who seems like, I don't know if Brett was just like, oh, wow. Okay, that was a Dana White moment. Uh, let let me just get back to like, let me get this interview back on track. But how do you not ask a follow-up about what the future of fighting is? Even yeah. if you don't think the guy's going to tell you, you got to be like, hold on. Did you just... Did you just promise to change fundamentally the nature of not just this sport, but fighting in general? Unarmed human combat. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah. Can you can you clue us in? Give us a hint, maybe? No. Does it rhyme with Hag Gardy? <laughs> Last question this week comes to us from Curtis Bouchard, who writes, What the fuck? Why is Michael Chiesa fighting Diego Sanchez? I guess why not? Well, that's the only question you got to ask yourself about Diego Sanchez, right? Why not these days? I kind of see what they're thinking there, especially if Diego Sanchez is going to be back to the old Diego Sanchez, who's going to take people down, try to ground and pound you. Michael Chiesa, Michael Chiesa is a is an interesting style matchup for that. Yeah, he's a guy who might get you in some uh, tricky stuff off his back, and maybe get yourself into like. A decent grappling match where nobody really gets hurt. Right, that's what I was going to say. If you can make a positive case for this fight, it's that Chiesa doesn't seem like a guy who is just going to bludgeon Diego Sanchez with hammers, right? We we have the at least the possibility of a technical ground fight on yeah. our hands here, which, bring it on as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I don't, it's not a terrible idea. Anyway, that's going to do it for Listener Mail this week. If you have questions, comments, concerns that you want to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. You go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on all the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is short. It's informative. We would love to tell you it's funny, and it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though, we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Ben, I've got another quote from your interim lightweight champion, Dustin Poirier, here that I want to read. I've been saying it all week to my wife, to my management, to my team, that in the words of Teddy Atlas, I knew I had 25 minutes to make life fair tonight. Nothing mattered. When I've been overlooked, knocked out, dropped fights in the past and had to climb back up, nothing mattered but 25 minutes tonight to make life fair and be a world champion and that's all I cared about was showing up for 25 minutes, staying focused. And my wife knew that I was going to go out there and I was willing to leave a piece of myself in there. And I was, and I might have. Wow. That's a powerful quote. It sure is. I mean, this is just a feel good thing, frankly, even, you know, above and beyond how much everybody likes Max Holloway. And it's a little bit uh, difficult. I'm sure for some people to see him drop his, foray up to lightweight here to fight Dustin Poirier. But seeing Poirier come out of this thing with any kind of UFC belt wrapped around his waist, now with, we assume, uh, the political bargaining power that comes along with that and maybe a slightly brighter future for himself as a fighter, it just really is kind of a feel-good moment in a sport where we don't always get that. Yeah. 
Well, and, you know, I could have seen if Max Holloway could have come out of this being a little bitter about the way it went, you know, and instead he's happy for Dustin Poirier too. Like he makes that that comment about how, you know, congrats to, to Dustin and Jolie, his wife, and how he, he should have had a belt before now. And so it kind of feels good to see him get one. Also, Max Holloway comparing life itself to a game of shoots and ladders. Sometimes, Chad, you got to slide down that, that long slide just so you can get to the next ladder up. He's and, got kids. Yeah, right? he knows. Shoots and ladders, also the far superior game compared to Candyland. But it did allow everybody to kind of come away and not, you didn't lose anything by both guys just being like, we're going to go out here, scrap super hard, ebbs and flows to this fight. A couple couple moments where it seemed like they were almost on the verge of reaching an unspoken agreement to keep fighting after the horn. Yeah. Like you could just tell like how both guys really wanted it in this one. And everybody gave absolutely everything they had to give in that fight. And you're right. It does feel good to see Dustin Poirier come out of that. Two things I wonder after that. One, how much does it matter to you to think of what happens next with Dustin? Like, does, does, If Dustin Poirier does not fight Khabib next, if we don't go ahead and do that, will you think that this was all kind of a sham like or like a diversion? And two, what does this tell you about Max Holloway at lightweight? Are yeah. you done with that? Uh, well, I think just the first point here, like I said earlier, we, we all have this history in this sport, the shared history in this sport, that when you start guaranteeing that the interim champion, who's not necessarily at the top of the promotional heap in terms of you know, who sells pay-per-views is definitely absolutely 100% going to be the guy who fights the actual champion next, especially when it's Habib Nurmagomedov and he's got all this other uh, stuff floating around in the ether that might make for a bigger selling pay-per-view. It doesn't necessarily inspire confidence, right? Like the thing that we feel about Dustin Poirier being the interim champion is I hope he gets to fight Habib Nurmagomedov next. I hope that like he gets the things that have been promised to him and that he doesn't wind up uh, getting shuffled to the side and fighting somebody else. Did you see Conor McGregor's tweet? That was oh, uh, no. not more of this shit. Well, first I want to read the Tommy Toehold tweet. I can't believe that I'm passing along statistics from a cartoon here. So take this with a great assault. But eight years, three months, and 12 days after his UFC debut, Dustin Poirier captures UFC gold. It's the third longest journey from debut to the belt behind Michael Bisping and Robbie Lawler. Wow. So that's that's uh, that's something to note there. That makes it seem like a... a like a, a monumentous happening here to have... Uh, Dustin Poirier win this title. I'm trying to find the the Conor McGregor tweet. Basically, he congratulates Conor McGregor, still aggressively online, by the way. Super online. Uh, Effusively congratulates everyone involved. Says it's a great night of fights. Everyone did a great job. Great win for Dustin Poirier. The last line is, it's Nate next for you, like previously scheduled. (laughs) Okay. Huh. Really? That's what he's saying. Not that he's the the decider, but you come into this Dustin Poirier uh, interim title reign not necessarily all that confident that he will get the thing that was promised to him. Right. Well, even afterwards, Dana White's like, okay, we want to do Khabib probably in September. 
Never mind the fact that Khabib had previously said that he was going to sit out till November in like solidarity with his teammates who were given year suspensions after that brawl. And also that Khabib and his manager had made it very clear we're looking for a big money pay-per-view kind of thing. Like, which, like we've said before, always a little bit of a tricky thing to demand because you're kind of then saying... I'm not the guy who brings the pay-per-views, but I am going to use my position as champion to insist on fighting one of those guys. Like I need somebody else to do the sales because I don't I'm not confident in my ability to do it. And then you got Dana White saying, "Oh no, absolutely. Poirier versus Nurmagomedov next." Previously, he had said, "Hey, it looks like we're thinking about a Nurmagomedov Conor McGregor rematch." Before that, he had said, "Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson looks like the fight to make." So, you know, if you're Dustin Poirier, don't start spending that money yet. Yeah. Uh, the other question you asked, Max Holloway at lightweight. I'm not going to totally close the door on it because I think by the end of this 25 minutes, we saw Max Holloway looking uh, able and dangerous at 155 pounds. At the beginning of this 25 minutes, I felt like this fight was going to be instructive in a negative kind of way about, about why we have weight classes. Yes. Yeah. About Max yeah. Holloway's tenure at lightweight, because the power difference here between Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway was shocking. Yeah. Not, well, yeah. Shock. Yeah. Shocking. I'm going to say shocking. Well, surprising, especially when you think about what we've gotten used to seeing from Max Holloway and he was trying to do his usual featherweight Max Holloway stuff. Yes. And it just didn't work the same against yes. Dustin Poirier. Cause it's like, he's doing the thing where I'm going to be coming forward. I'm going to be pressuring you trying to suffocate you with just volume and punch output. And I want you to get baited into thinking like, damn it, I got to get this guy off me. Let me just try to bang back hard on him because then I've got you right where I want you. That's what he has done to a lot of other people. Did it to Brian Ortega, did it to Jose Aldo, and then he just kind of drowns you there. And when he did it to Dustin Poirier and Poirier would fire back or something, you could see a different kind of look come over Holloway's face where he's like, whoa, I got to take a step back here. And this is not, in fact, where I want to be. But you're right. Like, he is a... You can tell what a good and smart fighter Max Holloway is in that he figured that out as the fight went on. Like, he figured out a different way to approach it. And he figured out how to deal with with this variable that maybe he hadn't planned. Or maybe he hadn't realized it was going to be as big a difference. And... If you'd given him five more rounds to work, maybe Max Holloway wins that fight. Yeah, this is Fodner Diaz brothers rules. Right. Who knows? It looked like it was going to get stopped early, though, man. Like, Poirier stunned him three or four times in the first round. Like, visibly had him in trouble during that first round. Uh, and I know that everything is obvious in hindsight, right? Now that yeah. we've seen the fight. Everything is obvious about it. But in a little, in some ways, it did make me feel like, oh, maybe we should have asked more questions of ourselves about how Max Holloway's fighting style would play up at this at this heavier weight class. Well, because he definitely had a harder time implementing that game plan, the Max Holloway game plan against a guy like Dustin Poirier, who could who just flat hit harder than most of the guys that he's fought. Well, I could see how maybe the thing that made us not really realize we we're going to be dealing with that question was the fact that Poirier himself was a former featherweight. So, uh, you know, maybe we didn't think that the difference would be that apparent. To me, I wonder if what we learned from this Max Holloway lightweight experiment is that Max Holloway is an elite featherweight, the best of the best at featherweight, and merely really, really good at lightweight. That's not so bad, man. 
You yeah. know, like that is I don't see that really as a step down for Max Holloway or like a knock on Max Holloway. It does make me wonder, though, if like what does Max Holloway tell himself when he kind of gets healed up and can start to think about the future? Does he think, you know what, I need to win a fight at lightweight to prove to everyone else and to myself that I can? Or does he think, OK, let me go back down to featherweight and just beat somebody's ass just to remind everybody that I am the champ there for a reason? Yeah, a lot of interesting questions moving forward for the immediate future of Max Holloway. And I think a lot of it might just depend on on the sheer physicality of the weight cut, maybe. Like if he's still feeling good making it down to 145, I don't necessarily see any reason for him to abandon that right away. But if he comes away from this loss uh, still physically feeling better, like if he is able to look at how this fight went and be like, well, the power was a problem, but now that I know that, maybe I can make some st- uh, stylistic changes. And physically, I still felt better out there at this heavier weight than I did in my recent appearance at featherweight. Maybe he does try again at lightweight. But, and you know, I think we're kidding ourselves if we don't think that it probably also has to do with what the next paycheck is. Like going back down to featherweight uh, to fight Alexander Volkanovsky or Zabit uh, Magomed Sharapov uh, would be one thing. But like if he can hook himself up with like a Nate Diaz or Donald Cerrone type matchup where maybe he's going to make a little bit extra money, maybe that weighs heavily on the decision too. Well, you mentioned the money. Did you see the payouts for this? I did. Yeah, they were not they were not stellar. Poirier. And then again, we don't know. And again, these are just the official public payouts. Right. But they also don't factor in your expenses throughout your entire training camp, which can be, and like how much you're going to pay out to your coaches and your management and stuff like that. But Dustin Poirier makes 250 grand. Max Holloway makes 350 grand. Go back to that quote about leaving a piece of yourself in there. And I believe you did in a fight like this. Like you gave us all something really special and something that we'll remember but it came at a price, and you can't do an infinite number of those. And then you look at those payouts. The payouts for the entire card were slightly under $2 million, yeah. which if this were like a big pay-per-view boxing match, $2 million would have been just one of those guys' payouts. Yeah, and again, like it's it'll be interesting if we find out what kind of buys the UFC was able to do here on this first pay-per-view after the jump to ESPN+. Plus. But like if this would have been a normal... Uh, previous UFC pay-per-view where, where people just called up and ordered it from Dish Network or DirecTV, like the UFC itself is going to make millions of dollars off this pay-per-view. And as far as I'm concerned, every single one of these four dudes should be millionaires. Right. Based on nothing else besides just, these two fights. Just this night. Yeah. They should absolutely be millionaires. That's not even like hyperbole or it's just a fact. Like the UFC is probably going to make so much money that Poirier, Holloway, Adesanya, and Gaslam should all make millions of dollars yeah. just from these fights. And won't. All right, let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? Although that might be one of them, and then we'll move on to round number two. Ben, did you see this stuff from Max Griffin after his fight with yes. Zalim yeah. uh, Amadiev? This is a quote from Max Griffin. This guy tried to attack me yesterday at the breakfast buffet, and when we were on the bus as well. Never had I fought a guy that I wanted to beat down. He's an ass and a bully. And in the end, MMA beat him. Are you fucking kidding me? This is a thing now. We're attacking people in the breakfast line. Why can't MMA people learn how to act right at the buffet, Chad? That's, I mean, here's the thing. I hope they don't spoil the buffet for everybody. 
You know Sounds what I mean? Sounds like they maybe did. Because that would be a big loss for all of us if the buffet becomes disputed territory. We need the buffet to be a demilitarized zone. That's right. Ben, just like Colby Covington was thinking in his t-shirt and his cargo shorts. Like, it's like attacking someone in the mafia when they're with their family or they're at church. You don't attack somebody at the buffet line. You, you let know, this man get his kielbasa and take it to his seat and eat it in peace. And it's really not that hard to abide by the rules of buffet. Like, kind of gastrointestinally, it's a free-for-all yeah. at the buffet, man. Yes. You, you kind of can't go wrong. You can mix it up, do whatever you want. You can do stuff there that is frowned upon in other areas of polite society. Really, the only thing you can't do at the buffet is fight. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Jed Mai, are you fucking kidding me this week? So I'm watching Nikki Thrills and OSP, yeah, you know me. Okay. <laughs> they they go out there and Nikki Thrills getting right up in his face yes, in the first is. round, bringing it to him. And it looked like Ovin St. Prue was feeling the, the pressure and the pace a little bit. He looks like he's getting kind of winded. He goes back to his corner, sits down, and the sage advice that he gets from his corner man is, you don't get tired. Oh, Okay. Thanks. Yeah, it's all better now. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding That's not me. helpful at all. Yes. No, clearly he does get tired. He's a human being. Everybody can get tired. He was absolutely tired and did not seem like that really convinced him otherwise. That he was not tired. Did not seem to convince him that he was not tired. He went out there, clearly tired, and got finished in the very next round. Fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me? That's kind of like the uh, put your hands on him, Scotty, advice. <laughs> of its day. That's going to do it for round number one. We'll be right back. Round number two. Jed, before we got to Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway doing their thing, throwing down hard, we got... Another great five-round interim title fight between Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gastelum. And you want to talk about some ebbs and flows out this motherfucker. Mm-hmm. First, you get Israel Adesanya getting rocked a little bit. He comes back, takes it to Kelvin Gastelum. He gets rocked again with a head kick, nearly finishes Kelvin Gastelum by the end. Mm-hmm. And somehow we make it to the scorecards there. This was a fight that... Uh, this, this was tough on the, this, the, the cardiac region, just yeah. watching this thing. Yes, it was. One of the best fights we've seen in a while. Uh let alone from a non-main event, just as a, as a co-main event here. Did you come away from this feeling like we continue to shortchange Kelvin Gastelum a little bit? Because I did. I, this is another fight, even though he didn't win. And I think we got to talk about the fifth round performance of Israel Adesanya here in yeah. a minute, because that was a fucking statement. But I came away from this once again being like, God damn it, Kelvin Gastelum is just really good. He's just really, really good at fighting. And I feel like every time he has a big opportunity, I always kind of uh, don't give him the credit that he deserves in the in the lead up. Yeah. Well, two things there. One, I agree with you that Kelvin Gaslam is better than we get him credit for. I mean, when you think about what he did with a limited amount of weapons, really, against Israel Adesanya, like a huge reach advantage he's the the shorter guy here he has to go diving in a lot and still basically with just like a lunging right hook manages to do a lot of good work the other thing though that was surprising to me about it is for a guy who is a slick striker who has is the taller guy with a long reach advantage a, a lanky guy 
Israel Adesanya is easier to hit than you'd think he should be. Yeah. And again, like maybe the opposite thing of, of Kelvin Gastelum, even though there was that fifth round, which we do need to talk about, and we do have to give Adesanya a ton of credit there because he came out and just took this thing for himself in that fifth round. Uh, I had the opposite feeling about Adesanya for some of this fight than, than I had about Kelvin Gastelum because the UFC has really taken pains, fallen all over itself in some ways to paint Israel Adesanya as the next big thing. Like Dana White is at the press conference making Conor McGregor comparisons yeah. about Israel Adesanya. And so when I watch this fight, when I watch him fight, and obviously like it was a great performance by both guys and he really uh, turned it around there in the fifth to, to win the interim middleweight title. But I was also like, I don't know, man. He just doesn't seem as dominant as you want him to be, as the UFC clearly wants him to be. He seems like a guy who could and will get beat at some point. Yeah. I mean, I can understand why people get excited about him. Yeah. You're undefeated. You clearly can do some really cool stuff. And his ability to really dig deep, to get hurt, to survive, and to decide, like, you know what? I'm not going to just kind of coast here and be confident that I've done enough, that I already have enough in the bank here on this fight that I'm going to win on the scorecards. I'm going to go out there and take it. Yeah. Like that really shows you what kind of fighter he is, that he has that mentality and he's got that dog in him. Yes, he does. And And that fifth round, obviously super impressive for him to go out there and craft a 10-8 really uh, when he needed to win that round and – end this fight with authority and to put an exclamation point on the end of it, that he was the one who was walking out of the cage with that belt. But if I'm one of the other middleweights, you know, the top middleweights in the UFC, especially one of the bigger middleweights. And I see this guy like, you know, a six foot four inch middleweight with a long reach and just kind of rangy limbs. And I see that Kelvin Gastelum, little old Kelvin Gastelum can get to him and can touch him without too much trouble. I'm starting to feel better about my chances when I fight that guy. If I'm Bobby Knuckles yeah. and I watch this fight, I'm going, okay, I can beat this guy. This yeah. guy is beatable for me. Right. Like, I didn't come away from this fight, regardless of how epic it was, thinking that Israel Adesanya is going to dethrone Robert Whitaker. Uh, I came away from this pay-per-view feeling a lot more confident that Israel Adesanya is going to get the fight that he wants than I did again about Dustin Poirier. Yes. But at the definitely. same time, like... I don't know, man. It's hard for me to imagine if he puts on this sort of performance against Robert Whitaker, and I know they're talking about doing this fight somewhere Australia-ish. Yeah, which you absolutely should. Yeah, you have to. But like, if I was, if I'm watching this and I'm Robert Whitaker, like it's impressive and it's a hell of a fight. And all credit due to Israel Adesanya, but I'm also probably still feeling pretty confident about yeah. my own chances. I mean, the thing I learned about this guy is that one. He's resilient. Yeah. He he can take a little bit of punishment. You're really going to have to put him away if you want to finish him. You can't just build up a lead and then sit on it against a guy like this. He can also adapt as the fight goes on. He he can see what's happening and he can kind of change up his approach a little bit. But I would be worried if he were, you know, a a John Jones kind of fighter in that he's taller than everybody, longer than everybody and you just can't you feel like you can't even get to him. You can't even reach out and touch the guy. And Israel Asanya, at least so far, is not that kind of guy. Also, I think, I don't know how Kelvin Gaslam, how his mental game works, but I would think a lot of people in his situation would spend a lot of nights in the months to come laying there, staring up at the ceiling going, 
why did I go for that takedown yeah, when I, I had him hurt? I, I was think actually going to bother you for a while. I was actually going to ask you about that because that's the fourth round, right? Yeah. Uh, he has him hurt. It seems like Gaslam could finish the fight there, had the opportunity to finish it at least. And he, he dove for that takedown against the fence, which just allowed Adesanya to regroup. Right. Uh, and I, and you know, it's, you're 20 minutes in. You're more than 20 minutes in to a championship fight at that point. I assume everyone is tired. Everyone is just trying to stay in the fight and do what they can do. So in some ways, I can't fully like uh, discredit Kelvin Gastelum if maybe he wasn't thinking 100% yeah, as clearly or tough. wasn't as sharp as he would be in the first round. But at the same time, if if this is your one chance to get the uh, the interim title or to fight for a UFC title... I do think that that probably haunts you a little bit. Yeah. That you should have just, you know, backed up and, and kept firing on the feet and maybe you, you end up stopping Adesanya. Instead, you kind of played right into his hands. Yeah. I mean, the things I wondered about afterwards were, are you thinking, hey, here's the last thing he expects. He's worried right now about the strikes coming at him, so then he will forget to defend the takedown, basically. I'll be able to get him down. Was it maybe one of the things that they had put into the game plan was – Hey, this guy is going to be tough to finish on the feet, but if you can get him worried about that and then get him down, that's where you'll actually put him away. Or like you said, is it just that maybe your brain's not working at 100% after four rounds of you guys taking turns punching each other in the head? Yeah, fatigue makes a different person out of all of us, I believe is the uh, is the cliche. What do you think is the move now for Kelvin Gastelum? Uh, did you come away from this fight thinking that this was his basically his chance, his chance to uh, to make good in this weight class and to get a shot at the the actual title, become the interim champ and get a shot at the actual title? Or do you come away from this fight feeling like his stock is still pretty stinking high? I mean, you know what I forgot until his comments after the fight was that Kelvin Gastelum is like 27. Yeah, he's young. So, yeah, he's still got some time to regroup there. And... Like you said, I think that fights like this help people see, you know what, he actually is really good. Because when he was first announced as the next challenger for Robert Whitaker, it kind of felt like, well, we're, we don't have any great ideas, and this one is an okay idea. And so we're just going to go with that. And he goes out there and has this awesome fight against Israel Adesanya. I think people are going to remember him fondly for that, even if he didn't win the fight. Yeah, no, I I agree, and like again, like you said, he's got a lot of uh, he's got a lot of career left in front of him if he wants it to be that way. And if, uh, even if he is a little undersized, the good news for him is that there aren't a ton of six foot four inch middleweights in the UFC. Yeah, that's true. I don't think that there's any reason for him to abandon his current path. I don't know that going back down to welterweight would be the the answer for him. He he's had so much trouble making the weight. I think he got to stay home, you know. Maybe pick up a uh, a Paulo Costa, Derek Brunson, uh, Brad Tavares sort of opponent in your next fight, and try to get back up there uh, among the upper echelon as quickly as you can. Plus, I mean, I guess if you're Kelvin Gaslam, you always just got to stay healthy. Yeah, who knows? The phone could ring. The phone could ring at any point. Somebody had to go to the hospital for emergency hernia surgery, and you're back in, baby. Yeah, you're back in. Anyway, that's gonna do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three.
Ben, Dana White had a message for the idiots and the goofs out there. Calling UFC 236. Basically, this one was for you, dickwads. <laughs> Everybody out there saying they hate interim titles. This one was for you. Now, this is classic Dana White thinking. Classic Dana White rhetorical strategy. Classic Dana White psychology here. Yeah. To take the fact that you tumble ass over tea kettle into two awesome interim title fights on the same card to be like, ha ha, motherfuckers, interim titles are awesome. Yeah, you're right that it is like, and if they had not been great fights, which can always happen, I don't think Dana White would have showed up and been like, well, you know what? It was a real mistake to have these as interim title fights. Well, like, and again, like it's another classic Dana White move because I don't think anybody is making a blanket argument against interim titles. I don't think anybody is like, there should never be an interim title. Interim titles are the worst. The fact that people have to make arguments against interim titles is because the UFC has been handing them out like candy. Yeah. Like there's been so many of them that it de- devalues the whole thing so the fact that you get two stellar awesome amazing interim title fights on this card doesn't change anything as far as i'm concerned about like the legitimacy of any of these interim titles you know what might if dustin Poirier gets to fight habib Nurmagomedov. okay see that was going to be my next question is the the middleweight situation i felt like in a lot of ways this is one of the more defensible middle or interim title situations the ufc has had because you got a, a champion who is out injured, his damn bowels be rupturing and whatnot. We want to give that man plenty of time to recover. We don't want him to feel like he has to rush back or just in order to avoid being stripped of his title. And so you got these two guys where it makes sense to have them fight to kind of sort it out. And then the lightweight situation, basically you got a guy suspended who just like went around, fucked up, and now is sitting out because he fucked up. And also who has not seemed like he is that excited about just taking on whoever's next in the pecking order, who has seemed like he has the belt now and he really wants to make sure he leverages it into a big payday in his very next fight. And so that one, it seemed like, all right, having a lightweight contender face the featherweight champion for the interim lightweight title seems a little bit like a manufactured belt situation. Although, it did feel good to see Dustin Poirier get a belt, to yeah. see him like super happy about it, to see something like as a physical reminder of the stakes of this fight. Yeah. But if he does not go on to then face Khabib Nurmagomedov in his next fight, I think it all feels like complete bullshit that yeah. we were roped in by. Or at least to face Khabib Nurmagomedov for the title at some point. Like, I feel like an interim title... It could be defensible if your champion is going to be out so long that you need a guy to defend the title a couple times. But, like, they just, even now, even at, in the wake of these two really good fights, seem like glorified number one contender chalices or yes. something, in a way, trophies. Uh, because that's really all they do, is get you a, 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 the opportunity to fight the champion next. They don't even always do that, though. Right. That's the thing. Like, ask Tony Ferguson. And isn't really the reason for the interim title both to get these fighters to accept these fights and because the UFC has made a long-standing practice of always wanting to put a belt on the poster. Like the UFC is, has established this idea that they're going to have a title on the line for every pay-per-view. And so you sort of got to have these interim titles. Like 
if Dustin Poirier fought Max Holloway and Israel Adesanya fought Kelvin Gastelum with no titles on the line, it's not like the fights would have been less cool. They would have been the same damn fights. But you had to put an interim title on the line in both of those things just so you could uh, market the pay-per-view and maybe have a little leverage over these guys to actually take these fights. Well, one of the things that I think helps it in the Dustin Poirier-Max Holloway situation is the fact that Holloway is an actual champion from a different weight class. So Dustin Poirier can still go out there and feel like, well, I did beat a UFC champion. Like, it's not like they just pulled the belt out of the supply closet and took any two guys and had them fight for it. Like, I beat a UFC champion in order to get that belt. So it means something. But if... It's not so much, I guess, that Dustin Poirier has to fight Khabib next, but it's that Khabib has to fight Dustin Poirier next. If you right. come out here and you have Khabib versus McGregor, uh, like a rematch, because the UFC figures, oh, we can make a bunch more money off of that one, and meanwhile Dustin Poirier can fight Tony Ferguson or whoever, no. No, sir, I say. Yeah. Like you, it, When the lightweight champ is ready to fight again, he must fight the lightweight interim champ. Otherwise, this thing is complete bullshit. And... That is not to say that, that the fact that it would be bullshit if it didn't happen would mean that it has to happen. Like the UFC has been known to just be like, oh, yeah, no, we changed our minds about that. What are you going to do? Here's another thing. Let's say Habib Nurmagomedov comes back and does not fight Dustin Poirier in his next fight. Whose fault is that? Because it strikes me that having these interim titles also maybe gives you a little bit of added leverage if you are the UFC. And what you want is to have the champion fight the interim champion. Who knows if that's what they want or not, but it it makes it seem like Habib now is compelled to fight Dustin Poirier, yeah. even if that's not necessarily what he wants to do. Yeah. Well, you know what? I'm not that concerned with what he wants to do at this point, because I, I get it. The, you work all this time, you, you climb up the ladder, you want to get the belt and then you want to be able to turn the belt into money. Basically you want it to be a whole bunch of riches and a bunch of pay-per-view sales that you can then cash in on. But you're at a point where you got yourself suspended right after the fight. You have not been doing yourself a whole lot of PR favors while you've been suspended. You need to go out there and remind people that the reason they thought you were awesome in the first place was that nobody could beat you. And if you go out, especially right now when people are super excited about Dustin Poirier, he just won this big fight, he's got a belt. If you go out there and you put a beating on Dustin Poirier, and if I'm Khabib, I kind of like this matchup. The, the style-wise, like how I match up with Dustin Poirier, I feel good about that one. That's the one that you need to go out there and really put a hurting on somebody. And then maybe you start thinking about a money fight for you. Because, you know, whether it's in lightweight division or some other division. But you need to... I think you lose a lot of public support if you're out here trying to angle too hard for something other than what feels like the most meaningful fight for the division. It's possible that I just have not been paying that close of attention to Dana White recently. He hasn't been around a whole lot. But I feel like we got back to basics with Dana White a little <laughs> yes. bit this past weekend. Like the, the thing that I said at the beginning of the show about how when you have an awesome UFC card, it kind of makes everything feel a little bit revitalized and it makes the show the 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 podcast super easy to plan and do. I feel like Dana White got a little bit he got a little shot of adrenaline this past weekend. Now all of a sudden he's out here calling people idiots and comparing Israel Adesanya to Conor McGregor, saying the thing that he likes about Israel Adesanya is that he doesn't say no, which think about that one. Uh <laughs> and then out here calling us all goofs and, and idiots that we don't like interim titles, promising that he's gonna show us the future of fighting in the next two months. 
feel like somebody put a coin in this guy yeah, this he's, year. He's playing the greatest hits, basically. Maybe, maybe it's that someone put several million dollars worth of coins in this guy over the weekend. Or maybe you get a situation like this fight card where I felt myself coming away with it from it going, hey, it's nice to have one of these that every once in a while reminds you why you like this sport to begin with. Like, not people throwing hand trucks at the bus or certain fights in the breakfast buffet. Like, just dudes going out there really pushing themselves and each other in these great fights and then being like respectful, cool martial artists afterwards. And you're going, all right, yeah, now this feels like something I can actually feel good about watching again. Maybe for Dana White, he came away from it being like, all right, a little revitalized. I'm going to call some people some goofs and get back to basics. This is for you idiots. Several times he said it, not just the once. said it on a couple of different platforms. (laughs) Made a damn Instagram post just about that. Yes. Hot. He's out here caping for interim titles. All right, let's do uh, just saying stuff, Ben, and then we will uh, we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what's your just saying stuff? Chad, I'm just saying, you know, you talk about how easy it was to lay out a CME podcast after this great event. I'm just saying April 20th, coming up here this weekend at the Ubelny Sports Palace in St. Petersburg, Russia, you got the next UFC event, another one of these uh, ESPN Plus Fight Nights. I believe this is UFC on ESPN Plus 7. A headline by Alistair Overeem versus Alexei Olenek. You're, you're, the next fight down is Lamakachev versus Armand Zakurian. I know you're very excited about that one. Those are two real people who I am familiar with. I'm just saying, maybe not a great sign that it was super easy to get through an hour-long podcast without even mentioning that this fight is coming up. Agreed. Agreed. Just saying. Just saying. I'm just saying, Ben, did you see this Dwight grant Allen Joban fight on the pay-per-view? I did. Maybe not the greatest fight on the card, but what is going on with Dwight Grant's punches? He is out here bringing haymakers back. You're not supposed to be able to fight that way as a professional in the UFC cage out here throwing these hillbilly haymakers. Somehow it's working for him. I'm just saying, show me some more. I would like to see some more haymakers from Dwight Grant. That's all I'm saying. Just saying. Just saying. That is going to do it for this week's co-main event podcast. We will be back next week. If you want to hear us probably have some stuff to say about UFC on ESPN plus seven, uh, we will probably think of some other stuff to talk about it as well. Remember Wednesday live chat and road agents. For those of you who have gotten down with the co-main event podcast, Patreon followed by Friday's power hour. Also for you, Patreon folks. And if you haven't got down with the Patreon, I guess the question is why the fuck is your problem, man? You're out here missing all the great, all the good stuff. How are they even going to know what's going on without the power hour power rankings, Chad? They wouldn't know. They won't know what the most powerful forces in mixed martial arts are for this for this week. You know, I guess you could call that a life, but you can't call it living. Good point. Solid point. That's patreon.com slash co-main event if you want to go over there and, and get busy with us. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out.